0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Modern Wisdom Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Theo and Eve from Social Chain. Those of you who enjoy the podcast coming out of that particular headquarters will recognize them as the hosts of Social Minds. And today, they're talking about a topic which they've wanted to sink their teeth into for a while, which is the problem with millennials. Um, I wasn't really too sure what we were talking about today until we got into it. And so many of the points that they raised today about how people who were born between 1982 and 1996 are viewed and judged by the press and by society and the implications for industry, for work, for uh, self-identity and a lot of other things were really eye-opening, like crazy eye-opening, considering I'm slap bang in the middle of that particular age bracket. I found a lot of them applying to me. This was a really insightful episode. I can't wait to get back out to Social Chain, not least so that I can steal their amazing podcast studio. But yeah, enjoy this episode. I'd love to hear your thoughts. This is a very provocative and, and different topic. So please feel free to get in touch at Chris well X on all social media. This episode is brought to you by Crafted London. Finding men's jewellery that doesn't suck is very difficult, and Crafted London have nailed it. They're the number one men's jewellery company worldwide. They're sweatproof, waterproof, heatproof, they will give you a new one for free. Get a 15% discount site-wide on everything by going to bit.ly slash cdwisdom and using the code MW15 at checkout. That's bit.ly slash letter c, letter d, wisdom, and MW15 at checkout. all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com modern. That's netsuite.com modern to get your own KPI checklist today. If you want more focus in your life or if you find yourself dealing with an energy slump in the middle of the day where you just don't have the motivation to stay productive, fear not because I do too which is why I spent more than a year creating the world's first productivity energy drink, Newtonic. Honestly, I'm so proud of this. I was involved in the design stage from the very beginning, and we made sure to only include the most heavily researched and evidence-based ingredients in the world at efficacious doses to create the most potent fuel for your focus ever made. It uses a science-backed formula of nootropic ingredients, including Cognizin for focus, Panax ginseng to reduce distractions, and L-theanine to remove any jitters and keep you feeling great. We've got thousands of five-star reviews, and you can see exactly why by trying it for yourself right now with free next-day delivery on Amazon Prime in the UK and the USA. Simply head to newtonic.com slash modernwisdom. That's neutoni dot slash modern wisdom. But for now, please welcome Theo and Eve. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm joined by Eve and Theo. From the Social Minds podcast, here in my beautiful new studio. Welcome. Hello, <laughs> yeah, hello. Right? Good to have you back again. <laughs> this is your studio. Um, well, I mean, today it's an adopted studio for yeah. me. This, of course. How are you? You good? Good.
1: Yes. Yeah, really, really good. We've got you something, haven't we? we
2: got your soren because I know how much of a fan you are.
0: Look at that. I mean, it's actually
1: <laughs> from Manchester as well, I believe. Yeah, Soireen, yeah. yeah, it's a Manchester,
2: is Manchester it really? cake. Cake. I suppose you
1: could call it a squidgy loaf. A it is. So
0: let it's me very, tell uh, you. Let me tell you about the difference between a cake and a biscuit. So cakes are not that applicable. Biscuits are, mm-hmm. and I think the reason for that is that cakes are not seen as a luxury item because you would inevitably have to buy birthday cakes presumably throughout the year, and Jaffa cake had to um, prove that they were a cake and not a biscuit to avoid the tax. Ah. and the way that you prove whether you're a biscuit or a cake is cakes when they're left out go hard and biscuits when they're left out go soft
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah I
2: don't
1: know where you go on from there did That's you know sort of-
2: that burgers from McDonald's have to have the pickles in otherwise because of the amount of sugar they would be classed as a cake are you kidding? No.
1: I thought, yeah. Who yeah, told me was, that? I, I feel like it was savory. Me, I, I, I don't want to brag, you. but I think I was the one who said it. Yeah. It was you. But I think I heard it off a guy who heard it off a guy who heard it off a guy who heard it from his brother. But I've taken yeah, it as gospel now. Fine, truth. Well, it's on the internet. <laughs> it. It's on the
0: internet now, which means that yeah. it's the truth. Right, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, what we're going to talk about today? Millennials. 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 We have to. We have to talk about Millennials in a way that we don't talk about Millennials at the moment uh, we need to, we need to see Millennials differently basically and well I suppose we could take it from the beginning um, the theory around at the moment is that if you were born into 1982 or 1981 between then and 1996 let's say you are classed as a millennial so right now the oldest are 38 yeah. 37. Uh, the youngest say about 24, 23.
2: It depends on which definition you look up as well, which is another massive issue because no one knows exactly where the timeline mm. starts mm. and where the timeline ends, which is causing a lot of confusion. So it's Centre's Bureau starts at 1982 to 2000 and Pew Research is 1981 to 1997. So the youngest millennial could be 23 or 24. It shifts, and yeah. the oldest one could be like 37 or 38 and... No one really knows where the boundaries lie.
1: And if you believe everything you've read, if you fall into that bracket, you are lazy. You're very narcissistic. You're probably not doing very well for money. You'll never be able to afford a house.
2: Eat too much avocado toast.
1: Exactly. It's all these stereotypes that have come along that we, you know, whenever you see the word millennial, that you see, um, and it's and it's as simple as that, really. And. Our argument with this is that, you know, in what other context would you group the sort of behaviors of a 38 year old or 34 year old or whatever with that of somebody 15 years younger than them? Because that's how Mm. long the millennial generational span is. It's about 15 years. Well, I mean, I I
0: definitely count towards the top end. I'm 31, and I would count myself as a millennial. um, But. You are right. There seems to be a negative connotation mm, with them. Mm. So, what what defines a millennial then? Do you think, in terms of their behaviours, in terms of what they, how they act, and stuff like that?
1: Well, this is this is something that we've thought a lot about, and we've thought about in a way that if you tell the millennial story, it's you've got this you've got this group of people that fall into this generation who have been affected by major events so you've got things like people will always list the uh financial crash they'll list 9-11 they'll list this stuff like that um and also the way parents have been with their children uh, millennials are seen to be very there's the term that goes around snowflakes that we always use yeah, so they're meant to be, every day
2: like because that's a good point you brought up about like so things like the financial crash and 9-11 mm-hmm. the launch of mm-hmm. the first iphone all happened right in the middle of the millennial timeline mm-hmm. so they're meant to be um a little bit more savvy um with career routes they don't follow traditional paths they're more um likely to go into entrepreneurship and things like that they're less likely to get married um they're just a little bit more easygoing in some aspects than their than their parents were exactly and like yeah like you said a bit narcissistic and and a little bit self-obsessed
1: and if we focus on that snowflake angle um, that is always sort of tarred with millennials. It, it's basically because uh, you, I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners would have seen the uh, video that Simon Sinek did. Um, mm. So he was a, he still is an author, I should say, on YouTube. And he put out videos saying millennials in the workplace, where for about 15 minutes, he basically tarred millennials with this brush and said they are like this because of this. And one of the main points on that was that. Millennials, our our parents, they were very uh, very safe with us. You know, they wrapped us up in sort of cotton wool, and we were given uh, medals and trophies for coming last because it's about the participation <laughs> that counts. So you know, if you look at millennials, the the idea is that we're very sort of uh, you know a little bit self evasive. We're very much wrapped in cotton wool. Um, we're very kind of you know butter wouldn't melt in some ways, but you don't want to you know every we take everything very much to heart in a way so that's where this whole snowflake idea comes from um
2: they're just stereotypes though exactly yeah you said like the the main problem is because it spans like 15 to 18 years there's no there's no way in hell all of those people are the same like they're all narcissists or like none of them want to get married or like none of them Mm -hmm, can afford a house mm -hmm. Like, they are just sweeping generalisations. But the problem is that, like, no other generation, our industry has sort of taken those stereotypes as gospel. And because they don't understand the generation, because no one really knows, uh, like, what they want or how to speak to them, they take the stereotypes as gospel and they're using them to target them. Mm-hmm. But they're just completely mm-hmm. wrong.
1: Mm. So we've got... Well, we've, we've we've got a completely different take on it, in a way. And that is, um, you know, we're probably skipping forward a little bit, but it's... Uh, we we feel that millennials, you know, being millennials, we feel that millennials are less defined by uh, the situations around them, stuff like 9-11 and whatever. Mm. They're less defined by these situations and more defined by this boom of innovation that has happened between, say, 1982 to present day, really. So... Uh, if we can list it off, we, we, you know, the first Nokia phone I remembered came in the mid-90s. And then from there it was, you know, it, it took way before the mm. iPhone, putting cameras into phones was a massive thing. Mm-hmm. Then video phones came and then you go on from there and you've got stuff like Windows, dial-up, broadband. So
2: mm. it was like every year you can remember it. Like we're probably all about the same age where we can literally remember a world before all mm. of that. And mm. sort of we watched it happen. Yeah um like literally year year on year like, i was a little bit younger i think i went into secondary school when i got my first flip phone mm. uh, and i remember my sister getting a nokia when i was still in primary school and being really really jealous because her and her friends were playing snake and i wasn't allowed one <laughs> it was like, it was a whole it was a whole saga but yeah like literally every yeah. single year after that that when i was in year 8 someone brought in the first iphone 3 and everyone was like cooing over that and by the next year everyone had ipods and the yeah, next year after exactly. that like there was something else
1: and then that big thing social media happened
2: Yeah. (laughs) Halfway
1: through that. So to sort of answer your question in kind of a succinct way, it is you know, what defines a millennial, it is the people who have lived Mm. through a vast speed of technological change that has come and rocketed. Exactly, unprecedented. And there's stats to you know, there's stats to say and and sort of opinions around that there's been more innovation in the last five years than there has in the last thirty years. Believe that to some extent, because if we take you know last ten Forget about pre nineteen ninety. If we take, you know, let's take 1995, let's sort of say dial up as we remember it. The period between that and present day has seen unprecedented change in technology. I mean, the world is
0: evolving faster than our minds can to cope with it. It's evolving faster than our um, social uh, causes, our understanding of how society works, uh, our laws. Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. to be whoever a lawmaker is, if that was... I don't know how it works. I'm going to guess it'll be the sort of thing which is actually done through the government. But if you're a private firm that was able to write laws as new technologies come along, like, you're probably one of the richest companies in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, because yes. all you yes. have to do is go, oh, my God, first we have to work out what's happening with this internet thing. Yeah. Oh, shit, now they've got it in their pocket. Oh, my God, now they're downloading music illegally. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? It's exactly. just this monster that's grown so many different mm-hmm. limbs. Um so have you read The Coddling of the American Mind? No. no. So that book is about as seminal by Jonathan Haidt. It's about as seminal for what you're talking about now mm-hmm. as you can get. And for anyone who is listening, go back and listen to Jonathan Haidt on Joe Rogan. Fantastic podcast. And he talks about uh, links between depression and anxiety and suicide in young girls and the advent of social media. Mm-hmm. There's this line around about two thousand and. Eight, and then another one around about 2012 where there's marked differences in behaviour and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. one thing that you mentioned was to do with the um, awards for coming last, this mm-hmm. participation, mm-hmm. this kind of coddling, right? That's what Jonathan refers to it as. And personally for me, as someone who was born in 88, I never saw any of that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I... And I didn't hear about any of that until four or five years ago. So I think lumbering the millennials as they are, as they've been defined by the, the studies that you guys have looked at, into the snowflake generation, I think is erroneous. Like for me, yeah. there, was, there was none of that. So a perfect example of this is where you said people become hypersensitized, they take a lot of things mm. to heart. Mm. Um, if you have a look at purposefully exposing Children who have a predisposition to allergies, to types of treats that have peanut dust coating, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you reduce the chance of them having anaphylaxis in later life by 25 to 50%. What that means is that if you purposefully expose young children to a small dose of something which potentially is uncomfortable for them, later in life they benefit. Mm, mm. What it means is that by uh, the, the same thing goes for there's higher rates of asthma in cleaner households. If you disinfect the shit out of your house. Take so vaccinations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas you go to places like Africa, almost no asthma because the houses expose mm. children to low doses of what it is that is going to protect them yeah. later in life.
2: You're not meant to wash everything that you give to a newborn baby. No, like every, or par- new parents are always like, oh my god, make sure everything's really clean. You meant, meant, yeah. meant to leave some germs on, well, that's so the that point. they build their and, immune system.
0: Uh, socially, the same thing occurs, right?
1: This is, but this is exactly it. At the roots of this problem is this need to uh, put these conditions on what we call millennials i mean let's, let you know let's make no bones about it it's very easy to use the term millennials and yeah. stuff like marketing and and you know when a marketer says sounds trendy doesn't it ex- exactly it's it's also you know we can and we, and we do define demographics you know in the same way that you've got gen x's mm. you've got boomers the problem seems to be with the focus on millennials under the spotlight and that is setting a precedent for we 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 were speaking about it in terms of that you know now now that we've done the whole millennial thing let's call it that and we sort of you know what do they want what are they like mm-hmm. why, why do they feel like where do this? they shop exactly yes and all of that and grouping sixteen year olds you know what it would have been back then grouping 16 year olds with 34 year olds yeah. and saying they are exactly the Just same wildly, no, they're not. wildly
2: unhelpful they're,
1: they're, you know if you've got people at the start of their, you know before they reach spending power and they're going to university you've got people who are you know you're, t- you're, put- you're telling me you're putting them in the same boat as people who are mm. 34 two kids two dogs mortgage well, exactly do you, yes do you know it's,
2: what it is when you said before about so there's millennial stereotypes which you say don't apply to you Mm -hmm. uh, maybe because you're on the older end of that spectrum Mm -hmm. and then there's the snowflake generation Mm -hmm. but i think the problem is that the entire general public and it may be like it's not so bad in the marketing industry because if if you know it then Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. we're putting it to good use we know what the actual boundaries Mm -hmm. are but all this media attention that millennials are getting and the reputation that they've got just refers to the the snowflake generation, which people assume is like teens and twenty somethings, yeah. when it's actually not. Mm. So yeah. when I think the majority of the time when people are saying "oh, millennial, millennial," they just mean young people, yeah. Yeah. and they don't actually realise it problem. stretches up to the age of thirty eight.
0: Yeah, especially seen as like me and Dom were discussing this earlier on. There is a an equivalent of a self awareness menopause that you go through between the age <laughs> mm. of around about twenty two and sort of thirty. Some people never go through it. But the majority of people do tend to go through it. Dom said um, when he was 23 and he was sober, going out, his friends would give him grief. When he's 26 and sober, his friends look at him with admiration Mm. because Mm. there is this flipping of consciousness Mm. from the egocentric to the more mature. Mm. Mm. And there is a, a formative, the formative years, as they're referred to, the end of that, like the final boss is a reduction in ego for, yeah. mo- for most people right. if you have, a, 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 I guess, a healthy uh, progression yeah. <laughs> through <laughs> you it. You can see that, yeah. Um, and what that means is that, I mean, and the other thing as well, uh, millennial is such a, it's just such a buzzwordy term, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah. the sort of thing that you can throw out. Yeah. Mm. And now it is Gen Z. Yeah, mm. Like probably most people that read the news, that pick a typical person on the street in uh, Manchester, and most people are going to know what a millennial is. Yes. They'll go, hey, yeah, you're like young young people. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, right, okay. But if you said Gen Z, they'd be like, What's is that name? a new computer game? Like, is that...
1: <laughs> and this is it. And, and yeah, this, no this, this is one of the... This is another one of the interesting byproducts of the millennial generation is that because... You know, if I can see it from my point of view, and, and I'd imagine many others, because there was so much emphasis on working out millennials, what makes them tick? That was that was the headline you'd say. What what makes them tick? Mm-hmm. What do they actually want? That we've used this as a precedent to question Gen Z, even to the point where we see reports questioning Gen A. <laughs> now, technically, yeah. Gen A's are about probably seven, five years old, and yep. we're already making assumptions about what they are like, the kind of world they would grow up with. We've got the world of augmented reality, yeah. virtual reality, voice. It's
2: because people are trying to like we're trying to like get ahead of ourselves. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, Well, we don't want the same mistakes to happen again that happened with the millennial generation, where you know we spent so long trying to figure them out that mm. by the time mm. we've actually figured it out, we were already on they've the back already, burner. The spending power off, had gone. Yeah, yeah they are old. Like there's <laughs> another fair. one already. But I think we're making a mistake there because, like we were saying earlier about the speed of innovation that happened in the millennial timeline is not going to happen again. It's already slowed. If you look at before the millennial generation, mm. innovation was more invention, and it was quite slow. You know, mm. you had the computer, mm. and then the first Apple Mac, and then all of a sudden it was like boom, 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 new products for consumers. And now it's like, okay, now we're expecting voice to kick off. We're expecting VR to do the same thing. But it's not going that quickly. It's it's taken a little bit of a dip. Yeah. So I don't think yeah. it'll have the you know, the same the same effect as so the millennial th- generation did.
0: You think it's been like a, a real state shift through the millennial generation mm. and now it's just different flavours of the same cake. Yeah, well that, yeah, that's why
2: they were so hard to figure out because nothing like that had ever happened before. All the new technology that came in, that's what shaped their... Mindset and opinions like slap bang in the middle. Mm-hmm. That's why older millennials differ so much from younger millennials? Because if you grow up with the influence of a smartphone and social media, yep. you know you can't underestimate mm-hmm. the effect that that's going to have on you. Yeah,
1: you you could you could put a you know you could get an empty room and put a bit of masking tape down, uh, down the line of the room and say, right, everybody born in the 20th century stand on this side of the room. Everybody's born mm-hmm. on 21st century stand on this side of the room. Um, or oh sorry, I should say anybody who sort of grew up formatively in the 21st century stand on this side of the room, and that is what we are. That is what we are looking at. And like, like we said, you know, we, we covered briefly on the innovations that happened Just to sort of reiterate that, I mean, okay, so we had smartphones. So, so sorry, let's start taking from the beginning. We had uh, mobile phones. You know that, that were bricks back then in the mid yeah, '90s. Car exactly, phones. yeah. They, they, you know, and they were still on wires, and we still called them mobile phones. Yeah. <laughs> and then you had <laughs> camera phones, and you had video phones, and you had MP3 Sony Ericsson. Bluetooth, who remembers that one? Sony Ericsson. Mini do Don't forget mini disk Mini <laughs> yeah. So while, so while so we've got this innovation that's happening rapidly in communication, which you know extends to broadband, uh, social media. Because let's not forget, you know, before Facebook and Instagram. It was Bebo and MySpace and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, and it was all of that. So while all this is going on, you've got changes in media, so DVD, VHS, which became Blu-ray, and then audio as well. So it's all, you know, this, this rapid period of change yeah. is what has shaped this generation. The problem when we talk about millennials is we always talk about a disconnect between millennials and brands or millennials and other generations. You know, we put the spotlight on them, we sort of push them into the the sort of corner of the room and say, you are this, 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 this because of this. Mm-hmm. And I think essentially, like, like before, what we're saying is that it's not, you know, it's not about for the millennial generation had 9-11. We had atrocities like 9-11. Gen X had, uh, you know, the invasion of Afghanistan, the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know, before that, we had World Wars, the Vietnam War.
2: Gen Z will you have know. Trump.
1: Every every generation has their sort of societal kind of catastrophes, financial crashes, what whatever. It doesn't. I I, I you know I, I cease to believe that that plays such a part in the millennial construct as it does the Gen X construct as it does for any other generation. Mm. I agree, anyway, and how you are.
2: Yeah,
1: I,
0: I do agree. I think um, when you're talking about. Millennials and you lump them in a corner. It it does. It does hark a little bit as like a derogatory term Mm. Mm. Which is which is which is probably not not very nice like considering that that's where you come from and that Simon Sinek thing. uh, It will be in the show notes below the video that you're talking about It just lambasts anyone who's Mm. part of that group and says that you've got this incredibly kind of Transactional value that everyone's very easy come easy go Mm. like that. They Mm. treat careers like they treat tinder um, and, like, swiping left and right on it. And there's something about, there's something that romanticizes um, the old ways that things are done, like having a job for life, yeah. staying yeah. with a partner yeah. for life. And I did a podcast with Daniel Sloss, Netflix comedian. Um, we talked about, he, he talked about the fact that back in your parents' generation, you would have only known, you know, apart from the people at work, you'd maybe only known 50 people. Like, you'd have had a connection with 50 people. Mm. So mm. really, like, if you were having a bad time with your partner, like, you've got to stick it out and make it work. So you don't know where the fuck anyone else is. Mm. You're like, yeah. where, the fuck, where am I going to find an alternative? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, there's no one else at church. Yeah. Like, and that's it. And you're like, mm. well, if there's no one at church, I'm screwed. So the same thing occurs for that. But obviously one of the, one of the key factors has been the, this serendipitous communication where you, you have a, a greater reach that's always on, Mm. Um, And what that's enabled people to do is to be able to – they're emancipated and they're freed from the previous constraints geographically, um, uh, temporarily as well. Like you can speak to someone who's in America, who's in Australia, who's got instant communication, all these sort of things. Mm. And it's allowed people to be freed from the previous confines that they had. But also we don't don't know what that – we didn't know what that meant for people we didn't know what it was going to enable people to be able to do and there was no model that was pre-written. So you're right, like it, it does feel a little bit like the old guard that are usually the people that push the millennials have a um, poor degree, a poor moral compass rhetoric. Yeah, <laughs> um, That old guard that are pushing it on us were the people that were supposed to guide us through it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And they didn't. Yeah. And you're like, okay, was there a point at which social media came along where you came before Instagram and said you should maybe stick to trying to post virtuous and in, uh, things that represent your integrity, as opposed to displaying mm-hmm. your life in a mm-hmm. way that yeah. is a, a a highlight reel. Mm-hmm. No one ever said that to no. me. No, no. No one ever said you should, from the beginning, that you have a smartphone. Consider your time and your attention, and look at the cognitive tricks that are being played on you. No one ever said that to me either. N- like, you know, it took ages for the internet to be around for people to even start to talk about, like, um, chat services, like MSN, for being, like, a, an area that ch- children should be safe around?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Are you, like, I, it, it does feel a little bit like the people that push the the narrative of millennials are, are this kind of... the squalor sewage of, of um, low virtue narrative are... Uh, they were the people that were supposed to guide
2: they us. They were the ones who raised it. Yeah.
0: yeah, absolutely. Like, you, all that you're doing, basically, it's Frankenstein's monster. Like, mm. you were supposed to be the people that helped us through this. Um, and on top of that as well, like, it sounds, it just smacks massively of bitterness, I think, a lot an of the interesting time. interesting point, yeah. I think that happens yeah. with
2: every generation, though. Yeah. Nothing, like Jealous every, of the youth. Yeah, yeah. Every, every single generation will look at the generation below them and think, ugh. What are these ones doing now? Like yeah. kids. We've these started days. doing it. We've started doing yeah, it with say Gen Z, but young
1: you know, the people who are younger than us. Everyone's but, guilty so, of yeah. it. The, the only really. the
2: only difference I think with um Gen X's opinion of Gen Y, so Gen Y is millennials. Gen X's opinion of Gen Y has spread out to everyone. So now even millennials uh like criticizing other millennials, mm, like yeah. their mm. peers. I have friends who they probably know that they are in the millennial generation, but they'll go, oh, I'm not a millennial. I'm not like that. Yeah. I'm not a snowflake. I don't go out for brunch. Mm. That mm. that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, you're actually stereotyping yourself and actually you are a millennial.
1: <laughs> and we're talking about this over but brunch. But it's, it's become yeah, so, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I've, I've
2: got, no, where's the lie, though? That's I'd, so I'd, true.
1: I'd take a hard line stance on this in a way because I feel, uh, you know, it's exciting. This, if, if... we. I sort of want to use the word millennials sparingly, but young people at this time of technological change, this was an exciting time. And this was us finding it out for ourselves. It was like, you know, your parents' generation or their parents' generation discovering rock and roll. This was our rock and roll moment. It was like, wow, I could be anybody I want to be Mm -hmm. and post on my Facebook and post on my people and do whatever. Now, the problem I see with, from my own observations with the millennial generation is that Past generations have been able to define who they are themselves, in a sense. So uh, we think about Gen X. Gen X is Gen X is the you know they're the alternative generation. It was MTV and it was this and that. Now millennials they've sort of had this label just put put on them, pushed on them, yeah. you know, unwillingly, um, and that's sort of stuck to the point that you know a millennial can't. We 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 can't shift this reputation that's been put on us. Mm-hmm. But you won't see that with boomers. You won't see that with Gen X. I doubt you'll see it with the generation that comes after Gen Z. Mm. Mm. That's why
2: something? people get so disillusioned with it mm. as well. They mm. become like so separated from their own generation because they feel like these labels and these stereotypes have been put on them mm. against their will. Mm. And no one wants to be categorised against their will. So and of course, again. like, yeah, like, everyone, like, we like belonging to groups, mm. don't we? We feel, mm. you know, affinities to certain, like, nationalities or a football team or mm. a hair colour. <laughs> but all of a sudden, like, someone tells you, oh, you're a millennial, which means you're this, 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 and this. You go, well, wait a minute. Why are demographers and marketers yeah. deciding who I am? Um, so a lot of people have, yeah, gotten and a that's bit the irony of, it. of that, haven't they? I
1: think that's the irony of it in advertising is that the disconnect with this generation in a sense has come from the fact that it's not about, you know, let's find out who they are. It's about, let's find out who they are among ourselves Yeah, but it's and like, tell all them talking who they about are. You imagine know they like a boardroom. Let's dictate does. who they are. Yeah. Exactly. You imagine like a exactly. boardroom
2: where everyone's talking about them and there's not a millennial in sight and they're all over there watching going, "What are they, are they mm, talking yeah. about some us? Some guy,
0: some guy in a smoking jacket sat on a Chesterfield sofa somewhere. Yeah. Telling... He said that. Yeah, 100%. Like accusing people of not having any moral virtue and, and like yeah. being snowflake. Yeah, you, you are totally right. But the, the worst thing is they say that the best lies are the ones that have some truth in them. Mm. And mm. there is degrees of truth. Like we all know that friend mm. yes. who uh, treats relationships and their career very transactionally, has junk values, mm-hmm. doesn't spend mm-hmm. enough time outside. Like the And it's the fact that there are elements of truth but by exaggerating it, by exaggerating this rhetoric, it means that everybody can cast it off and say, well, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's yeah. so overblown that even the most cutting and accurate statement will still have a couple of bits that don't apply to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that doesn't help people to understand themselves. And it's why I think one of the reasons potentially why you're seeing this uh, resurgence now of introspective work Mm-hmm. Of the the headspace meditation, Sam Harris's waking up app, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know next door to the offices that we're in is the Manchester um, Buddhist Compassion Centre, yes. where you can go and meditate. And it's like that's city centre, Manchester, right next to a trendy office and all this sort of stuff. Because I think that when people are being dictated poor values about themselves that they don't think that they align with, it's very messy signals. Mm -hmm. And what they're trying to do is work through, okay, well, maybe I am this. Oh, hang on. And then before you know it, you have to go away and find out yourself.
2: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think what's really um, bad, like a bad side effect of that, especially for our industry, is what a lot of marketers and brands haven't realized is that all of that has bred like a subgroup of this generation of people who actively do the opposite of what their generation is stereotyped to do. So people who are of the millennial age but don't use social media, mm. the people who, you know, started buying vinyl records and they'll do things very sustainably and they'll act Similarly to how their grandparents did, because that's the new cool, mm. and it's like mm. the people who are targeting yeah, like definitely. this age group are doing so by like the majority of the stereotypes. And actually, there's a really, really large portion of the of them that are acting completely oppositely yeah. because they don't want to be tied with the same brush.
1: But there there is a, a caveat to all of this as well, and that is uh, that the whether we like it or not, these stereotypes still work. In advertising, and I know this was something you touched on in a past episode, uh, Chris. I think with uh, Rory Sutherland, and let's take one campaign for instance. The a lot of people, I'm sure, would have seen it. The British Army's campaign Mm. that uh, you know, Snowflakes, We Want You, Mm. um, that went that went around, um, play on the Lord Kitchener status that he that he did, Um, and it was that the uh, after they broadcast this advert that uh you know it was appealing to the gamer who stays up for 48 hours at a time mm-hmm. and these people you know your your agility your endurance the army actually found that their recruits doubled within a month basically that within really a month of releasing this campaign me I absolutely
2: yeah. hated the campaign so there was a
1: massive backlash to this campaign snowflakes we want you to join the That's army effective. you know come to the army we we need millennials and it worked and yeah, well, I mean that's just—it's
0: one of the circular mad things about advertising, right? Like that you can do something that's inflammatory. So I, I have no idea. I would love for to see Gillette in whenever their next earnings goes. Yeah. After mm. they after they did the um the most recent advert, um, and it is going down that risky route of kind of a metacognizant look at what culture is Mm. and the manipulation of culture by it, like uh, culture for culture's sake almost, Mm. looking at it with a pure bird's eye view, Mm. Mm -hmm. it's a high-risk strategy. And, like, that's evidently worked. But then you think, okay, so it's doubled recruits, but what's it done for the British Army's standing in society as a whole long-term? Is Mm. there potentially going to be some downstream effects of this that are a little bit more negative that Mm. might not be so clever? Mm. And then the Gillette thing as well. I'm sure that sat around that boardroom table, someone said, and maybe half the room would have gone, yes, I love it. Men are going to really connect with this on a deeper level. And it could have gone well, but it got 10 to 1 ratio of dislikes to likes on YouTube. So... Now, what does that say I, I, I don't again I don't know what that's translated to in terms of sales but yeah the manipulation of the meta narrative about Millennials is a dangerous game to play um, so what, what do you think is going to happen as we move forward then with Gen Z because that's is that people after 96
1: 98 Gen Z they say 96, 96. 97 yeah, yeah born after that so I I'm, I'm I make think... the oldest Gen Z about coming up to oh, this 22. this said is 22
2: or 23, depending on your definition. Because as mm. I said, there's like a few different research um, things you can but listen But on that to. as well,
1: on just, just, to, just to add on that, the US, I can't remember who, an organisation in the US, uh, only class, only really recognised boomers as a official generation, as an official demograph. It's just what? boomers. Just the... And... Well, the word boomers comes from that everybody was having kids after the the World War. Mm. So said this was the population boom, these are the boomers. You've lumped 50 years of people in together. Exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) difference between someone being born today and someone that's 50 years old. You you can see the
2: flaw in the system. To answer your question, for Generation Z, I don't know what's going to happen, but what we're trying to make happen and what we hope will happen is basically learning from the mistakes that were made with the millennial generation. We don't want to assume that just because let's say a group of people uh, spanning 15 to 18 years are exactly the same uh, just because of their age. So what marketers should be focusing on now is their mindset and their behavior so if you look at things like facebook pixels ability to track absolutely everything you do based on a click based on a purchase based on your cookies they know everything whether like it's your plans for the weekend or you know what play you want to see next week they know absolutely everything and when there's that much detail out there that tells you you know who your customers are and what they're doing why are we still paying attention to how old they are like that says anything about the way that they act and the way that they behave. Like we can still we can still use um, demographics loosely, but the point is it's not the most important thing that we should be focusing on. There's there's I, I,
1: I yeah there's I, I agree in ways. There's still a place for age definitely in in marketing, and there will be that. Uh, I think you know what we're talking about. And what it, is that focus on targeting? more narrowly aren't we yeah definitely way, with, just, just, smart, just smart, age, be like yeah. smarter
2: with it it's mm. like don't just blanket target everyone don't pay attention to mm. stereotypes it, it's all about your unique audience and age will always play a part but it, I don't think it should be the most but important the, thing but
1: for me the, the wider the wider theme as well with Gen Z is I. to answer the question as well I don't think there's going to be much change i think we're all you know as a society this goes outside of marketing and advertising i think we're waiting for gen z to be completely different and they're going to be this and they're going to be that and they're but you'll see a lot of the traits that you know are supposedly in Gen Z cross over to the Millennial traits. Yeah. You know Definitely. they are entrepreneurial, they are ambitious. So of course they are it's because that you know, innovation
2: has slowed. Like so we was, we were saying yesterday. If you you know how we were saying earlier about like every year for the Millennials there's a different piece of technology. Mm-hmm. Now every single iPhone regeneration or Samsung, depending on if you're Android or iPhone, every single regeneration is pretty much the same. Yeah. they just you charge in a lot more for like not. Much much innovation. And it's because even they have no room to grow. The biggest software hardware companies are forced to just slow down the old models so that you buy the new ones because there just isn't Mm -hmm. that much, like innovation is happening. It's just not happening as quickly as it was before. So when we expect Generation Z to be completely different to us, Mm -hmm. we're assuming that something massive is going to happen like another another digital revolution. And it's just not the case.
0: Yeah, no, you are right. That's a really, really good point. I think social media, was a, I guess you could call it a a technological revolution, but it was on existing hardware, right? Mm. Um, But certainly for me, one of the things that I am most concerned about, and as a good um, avatar for someone who's regularly in contact with people that are 18 to 21, and some of them I'm heavily, heavily invested in, especially our managers that work for Voodoo Events, I want them to be the most efficient, the best that they can be, not only for the fact that it makes us more money, and but also just that I take personal pride in creating these monsters of their age who go out into the workforce and just walk all over everybody else because they've had this crash course in intensity on how to be efficient and how to behave and how to have discourse with professionals and customers and all this sort of stuff. Um, and what I see from a lot of them is that Social media. Forget the technology. The technology was simply the root. It was the delivery mechanism for the virus. But the virus itself was social media. And I know that that's a, a inflammatory term to use for it. There's a lot of good that comes from social media, but I think that for the vast majority of people, at least at the moment, I think it's netting a negative. I think that one of the um, podcasts I've done recently, someone analyzed, uh, analogized uh, Instagram as. Uh, swimming through sewage looking for a diamond (laughs) that you have this serendipitous connection with people and once every couple of months you might make a really really good connection and you're like that's exactly why I do it but it's a gambler's fallacy Mm. it's like how much cost have you sunk into this in order to turn this around Mm. and you think well can I have my cake and eat it too can I have the serendipitous connection and have the um, things that I want which is keeping up to date with my family and knowing the real stuff whilst evading all of the sewage. And I think that that um, overall situation, that environment for people formative, people's formative years to be growing up in, I know certainly, and it may be different for yourselves, Theo, I know that you're a little bit uh, less on your phone as uh, than I am, but for me certainly my capacity to be able to read and focus on a book, which is low stimulus, has versus 11 years old to now it is so much less yeah, like I have to I, work I with that. Yeah. so hard to sit there and not even just not fidget because my body is conditioned to a particular level of stimulus mm-hmm. that a piece of paper with non-moving words that are in black and white it can't match up with and it's been the last year's basically been spent on a morning retraining myself to be able to sit and look at something yeah. that's not triggering dopamine every couple of seconds.
2: You need, so on our um, our most recent episode of Social Minds, we had a guest in from Iceland. who was a CBT therapist um, called Dr. Fiola Helga Dottier, And she was nice. very, very... Nice, well done, well it's done. A yes. name, it. right. It's a good name, isn't it? It's a good name, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. hard part over. Yeah. No, she was telling us about some research that came out in January that actually says you know, we always say that social media is causing depression, it's earned that reputation Mm. because there's been like an uplift in reports of people, more people being diagnosed and half of that's because more people are aware that it's happening and they're more open about, uh, you know, reporting it or like going to the doctors. Um, And half of it probably is to do with social media. But she said that what they found is that people were more likely, especially young girls, were more likely to turn to social media when they were already diagnosed with depression. Mm. So it wasn't actually, there's a correlation there for sure. But social media wasn't actually the cause. It was the symptom. Yeah. Um, coping mechanism yeah almost. definitely but like you were saying about being able to you know stop and focus and read a book like i've noticed that myself it because you're so used to just being switched on all the time and um dr Fiola actually said that it's very important for our brains to have idle time um like we need to be bored for the mm-hmm. brain to develop properly especially in young people like we just need time to do nothing and it's something that no one gets these days because we just I don't know about you but i feel guilty when i'm doing nothing i just sat there because you're expected to the, the, the always rhetoric, be switched on.
0: The rhetoric that's been pushed, and I mentioned to, on the podcast I did with Dom, we mentioned Gary Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, and Gary, if you're still listening, first off, I'm very surprised after what I said about <laughs> you in the last episode. <laughs> but then on top of that as well, like the hustle and grind mentality um, mixed with always on communication is a dangerous combination. Like, industriousness can be taken to an extreme. Now, um, Flow by Mihail Csic- mihail that's my difficult one to get out. Um, in the book Flow, what he talks about is the fact that human beings have the greatest sense of satisfaction when they are doing something which pushes them physically or mentally and is both challenging and worthwhile. So those are the things that you need to be able to do. You push yourself to the limits of your competence doing something challenging and worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And that's why he says that people who have a propensity towards being industrious find going away on holiday very difficult. Because at work, you have inherent challenge, you have a a feedback mechanism that tells you how well you're doing, and you have goals. Those are the three main things that you need. On holiday, it's just completely unstructured. Mm. Like, you don't win an award for being the best sunbather. (laughs) Or like, and I think, I think that this is why a lot of people, when they go away on holiday, especially young guys who feel like they have something to prove, will turn towards some form of game who can drink the most drinks tonight, who can like kiss the most girls tonight or like girls could do it in a slightly more different way where it's like who looks the best tonight, who's got the the nicest dress, who's got the best I'm like, how many landmarks
2: can we hit mm, in one day? Yeah, do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Because you want to try and provide this sort of structure. Mm. But obviously what happens when you have what could be maneuvered towards a very virtuous goal which is i'm going to constantly be looking at uh, assessing myself and finding out where i can improve and this that and the other it's very easily twisted and bastardized into constant self-reflection with negative mind talk um uh, inability to switch off and a desire to always have stimulus mm. like if you go i think the the a study that I heard recently was that 75% of people take their phone to the toilet and the only thing I could think was, I can't believe it's that low. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, do you know what I mean? I, like, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's I, what you do when you're on the toilet. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but it shouldn't be and the yeah. time the time on your own is is super, super important. Deep Work by Cal Newport is the Bible on this. We'll be doing a book review on Deep Work and digital minimalism coming up soon. But if you want to check it out, the link will be to the Amazon shop um, in the show notes below. But Deep Work's just the Bible on this, about the fact that it is psychologically, neurologically and philosophically a good thing to do. To focus on one task for a significant period of time, yeah. and it's a skill that's increasingly being missed in the twenty
1: first century. It's
2: just like I, common sense, so that's why we're being ogled by older generations because they they can see like the what's gone wrong and they're, they're I, watching us.
1: I I agree with this to an extent, but I feel and here is where I'll coin the generations again. I feel this bastardization of social media. Well, well, relevant at times. I feel this is the same as sort of saying, you know, the, the the counter argument. So that will always be, well, you know, the people who are on their phones twenty four seven are going to make them the best coders in ten years' time yeah, when it matters yeah, and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, um, while I agree with the fact that maybe there is less of a focus on books, I feel it's still, you know, the medium of getting information and getting knowledge has changed. And I think one of the things that we do are open eyes to campaigns and, you know, in all sort of areas is that social media, you know, for all its wrongs has allowed us to act in a meaningful way. If you can take it at face value, there is the whole sort of narcissistic element to it. You know, you see influencer marketing and and you sort of think, oh, you know, narcissism, narcissism, narcissism. But... I'd have to question that. Without social media, would we be as in tune to the world? Would we care as much about the environment? Would we be? Uh, would we get to this point now where we are so? Uh, you know that sense of connection with society, yeah. where we are so aware, so hyper aware of. That there are many different walks of lives, however people yeah. feel. I think it's, I think it has, you know, while while you could look at the person on the bus who's just looking in their phone, I think it has turned us into better communicators it's in how, a way and it it, made how us more you open. Use
2: it as well. I think we are becoming more aware to the mistakes that we've maybe made. Like you said, like we were failed like by our, our parents or by the people who created this technology. No one educated us on safe use of it, and now we're sort of getting to grips. we teaching ourselves, and I like to think of it like a car, like the first car. Like how long was it before mm. they got seatbelts installed? Mm. And like you wouldn't, you wouldn't do you that totally, now, would you? Mm-hmm. You need to learn how to drive the car. You need to, you know, put your safety measures in. Like I know, if I'm gonna feel shit about myself, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna follow people mm. who are posting things that are mm. gonna make me feel shit. You just have to curate your feeds and know how to use it and turn to it for positive things. And like it can be so helpful for like productivity and like you said, awareness about so many like causes. We just have to train ourselves to use it for good
1: i think i think young people i think young people definitely do i think it's you know to answer the question the way that 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 as well is i think a characteristic of gen z it, it, it's funny the irony of it has become a very millennial thing to say you kids you know you're, you're addicted to social media all you do is watch you know youtubers and wrapping toys and who wants to do that mm. and you play with fidget spinners what are you doing mm. And that's, that in itself has almost become a kind of millennial trait. So we are just, you know, going yeah, back, we we're already, already just bashing as bad the, as the Gen ones X. Ones, yeah, I, I get it. Well, I mean, to go on to what you said about the, um,
0: about the car analogy, it's perfectly correct. And what really there should be given for people who were the patient zero avatars mm. for the advent of all of these technologies, where the technology came before the best practices for healthy use did and before the legislation did, mm-hmm. we should be given compassion. Mm. There should be a degree, and I I feel that myself. Like I have, because for me, my mobile phone was a, a, a conduit for my business, which meant that I started to get into the rhythm of using it, and then the tactics which are used by particular social media apps to keep you on infinite scroll, auto-playing videos, mm. red notifications, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. I've now become a victim. Of those particular cognitive tricks, and I'm now having to undo the work that was done. But if you're someone who's coming through in Gen Z, screen time on an iPhone only came out six months ago, mm, where mm. You, where it um, allows you to track the time that you've spent on individual apps. If you haven't got it turned on, I, I urge you to do so, just so that you can have a look. Mm. Go into your settings, have a look at screen time, and it'll be very revealing as to where yeah, you've spent your time. Crazy mm-hmm. revealing, right? Mm. But then. So perfect example here, and this is within the same window, right? We're talking same device. Did you have an iPhone when you needed to download an app that allowed you to use a flashlight? So mm. you didn't. it wasn't always in the dock at the bottom. You needed to download yeah. an app mm. yeah. or you had mm. to turn your video camera on with the flash activated. Yeah. Yeah. And then it took them a while to realize, hang on, this is something which people need. This is a feature which we need to add. You think now like why would you not swipe up from the bottom and turn your flashlight on? Whereas in the past, you had to scroll, find like flashlight yeah, mm. and yeah. press that. And then it was like a little flashlight and you press that. So even within the window that we're talking about of technology, we have seen something come about which was needed and then be uh, internalized by the company that's creating the, the technology. And the same thing is occurring with social media that... It was this monster that's come about. And before, uh, you know, Tristan Harris and the, the Centre yeah. for uh, Humane Technology and all of this movement towards uh, understanding what the attention economy is and how it manipulates people, mm. that's only just starting to catch up with what's actually been going on yeah. for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And, and people I think
2: that, in the industry knew, it's just starting to trickle down, as well. For sure. It? It's, to, it's the same the issue with governments at
1: the moment, isn't it? Yeah, like they, know, they've just got wind of it and they like, hang
2: on. Yeah, everyone's playing to catch-up. And you're so right. It's because the innovation comes before the rules around it. Mm-hmm. Like, people are constantly playing catch-up. It's mm-hmm. like, here's a new mm-hmm. thing. Okay, we've got to regulate that, and here's something else. And now we have to put rules on that. We're just constantly catching up with yeah. ourselves.
1: Although I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing sometimes. I think it's that experimentation phase yeah, like, is what I, makes yeah. innovation so fair, exciting. Like,
2: I, I like to compare it to literally anything that we've invented. Mm. It's always had flaws and it's always had dangers before people figure out, oh, actually, like, we need to amend that bit and we'll make changes here and mm-hmm. make it better. It's literally like anything else. Yeah. So, again, yeah, no, I don't think it's a bad thing. I if, if rules had been put in place beforehand, if someone was able to predict, oh, this is going to be this big uh, thing that's going to come along and change everything and it's going to, like, make people sad and, like, steal all their attention and steal their data, they'll be like, okay, that's not allowed to happen. And yeah. um, we wouldn't be where we are. We'd have lost out yeah. on so much.
1: On, on, on the social point, I want to throw something at you, Chris. Um, how much of that manipulation, you know, of, of social media, how much of the development, innovation, whatever you want to call it, how much of that do you think is placed on it by the platforms and how much of it do you think is just us as a society sort of placing our own needs and wants and desires on this technology that's been able to... Like believing that the technology is an oracle
0: or some panacea uh, exactly, fixed to yeah. all of our problems. Yeah. Um, I, Because of where my mindset is at the moment, I, I do have quite a negative view of... Um, Silicon Valley and mm. and what they've done with regards to manipulating technologies. Mm. Um, anyone who has read much of Tristan Harris's work mm. will understand just how subversive and malicious some of the strategies are that people have that have been used. The guy that created Infinite Scrolls says it's the single greatest regret of his life.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Because you think about just how many. So a perfect example of this. Have you seen the film The Big Short? No.
1: Parts of it.
0: Parts okay. So it, yeah, on the film, honest. on the film, The Big Short, um, it's about the 2008 financial crisis, uh, crash. It is a um, it's a fictional adaptation of what actually happened, and in it, this guy says that before he came to work on Wall Street, he uh, built bridges, and he said he worked out um, he built this particular bridge which shortened a very highly congested route. And over the lifetime of this bridge, which was about 100 years, he'd saved billions of hours for people. That's how long he'd saved. And I often think about what Converse has been done through social media. Mm. And Mm. you think, right, okay, like if you were to look at how much time has been spent on that, and again, there are positives which come out of it. Mm. But Mm. in, in my belief, we are netting a negative. And the problem is that in 10 years' time, I believe that there will be more control in place. That may either be in terms of best practices that are socially enforced. That may be in terms of legislation. That may be in terms of the way that the platforms actually self-manage and Mm -hmm. self-regulate or whatever it might be. But the problem is that millennials and Gen Z, they've been the canary in the coal mine for this. So they've been the people mm. that have gone in first. They're the vanguard. They're their point. They're on mm. point in this particular invasion into a new realm of technology that no one's ever seen before. Mm. And I think mm. that really calls for a lot more compassion for some of the problems that people are, are, are dealing with. Like mm. my mum and dad mm. don't have a problem with social media. Like my dad's got the largest font, sorry, dad. My dad's got the largest <laughs> font available on his phone mm. and he loves to, he'll send me photos of the dogs and stuff like that. But like, I have no concerns about whether or not my dad is up on Facebook until, or YouTube until two in the morning. Yeah. Mm, mm. But my business partner's two-year-old son, who has a Amazon Kindle to watch Despicable Me on, I get nervous when I see him around it. Mm. Because I think, I wonder downstream and i'm constantly like tapping on darren and colleen business partner and his wife about like make, make sure you're being careful like mm. they're unbelievable parents mm. but I, it's a powerful technology that i think we need to yeah, be we need to be careful as we move forward with
2: i think one positive thing that will come out of that, like my my sister's recently had a baby, and she's the same. She's always asking me, like, oh, like when when should we let this child have uh, you know an iPad? Because you see them, don't they, like playing with iPads? And yeah. it's like when do they get their first phone? Like, should they be allowed social media yep. uh, when they're like pre-teenage? And it's one of them. Like you're right. Like we went in first. We're definitely <laughs> the guinea pigs. Um, Patient zero. Exactly. But hopefully we'll have something then to learn from, and we'll just have to like anything else teach. Our kids, how to use it, how to use it responsibly, mm-hmm. to use it in moderation, mm. and like how how to like reap its rewards without. Um, I don't you know, want to be a, I don't want to be foul. a luddite
0: about this either. I don't want to be saying like there there are fantastic benefits, but it's at what cost, and can we mitigate the costs? And to look back, you know, we spoke about people that had gone to war. It wasn't that long ago that there was conscription into the army? Mm. Mm. Like I'm complaining about the fact that this. Oracle of all knowledge in my pocket that's always on and allows me to connect with anyone at any time sometimes saps my attention. Like, I'm aware that there is, relatively across all of time, probably not that big of a problem. Yeah. Mm. But as we close towards what we want to be an ideal society, we need to narrow down the fidelity and the resolution at which we're looking at the problems. So saying, wow, it was it, this is much better than it was 50 years ago yeah. isn't an argument. No. So how much better could it be? Mm. Because if you're comparing stuff to how it was 50 years ago, you're doing what you, your um, census people did, and you're just lumbering all of this—not only all of the people, but the entirety of the world. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. companies publish year-on-year profits; they don't publish like century-on-century profits because <laughs> it,
1: it wouldn't be comparable. Sure. Yeah, no, that's so yeah. right. Yeah. I think it's uh, it, it's interesting. I think we are, you know, and. Going back to that point about Gen Z, I think we're starting to see, I don't want to say pulling the reins on innovation a little bit, Mm. but like we said, where there's been so much technological change. I mean, the innovations we talk about nowadays are very much to do with artificial intelligence and stuff like that, You know, which has been around for a lot longer than we think. And for me, a very big difference with that is they are not as consumer-facing... As social media once was, Mm -hmm. I suppose it's it's you know not everyone's not going around saying oh I'm just doing the new AI thing oh Mm -hmm. man have you seen this this is AI you know it's 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 less and less so Mm -hmm. uh, like that. Yes, it's being served to us in more sort of guerrilla ways, you know, Mm -hmm. chatbots and stuff like that. But um, no, I do I do agree with your point. I for me I feel you know something else that represent Gen Z and, and definitely Gen A is just like we became the sort of canary, you know, in the coal mine, as you, you can say, we, we found a way to regulate this ourselves, I think. And I think that's that's, mm-hmm. not, that's not what we must not get away from too much, is that, mm-hmm. yes, there's going to be uh, casualties. There's going to be a lot of problems with this. Mm-hmm. But I think Gen Z and Gen A's greatest benefit will be then finding their way into the world and regulating this technology how they want it to be. And I think you are seeing a shift where platforms and, you know, governments and whatever, then, you know, maybe they are not necessarily right about everything. And I think consumers are starting to see that. And, you know, that's displaying itself in many ways. I think consumers are taking back a degree yeah, of control.
2: Definitely. it's like I think it's a bit of a um, a multitude of factors, like the platforms are having, they're being forced to make new features like screen time mm. um, and, you know, all the, mm. the new guidelines around you know, safe use and usage policy and stuff like that, they're being forced to put those changes in place. So while that's going on, consumers, as you write, they're also getting a little bit savvier because mm. they've watched, they're going to watch uh, all the consequences Yeah, happen, yeah. They're going to watch it happen to us. And a funny, and, and another funny thing as, as well
1: is that you're seeing features that have come out, you know, that somebody, you know, a, a group of sort of directors or whoever who work at, you know, Facebook have sort of dreamed up and said, oh, yeah, the world needs this. Yep. And you're seeing a lot of consumers saying, oh, actually, Not fuck off. Do you remember when
0: Instagram... don't need that. I'll
2: take that feature and that, I'll hack it to we do that. that. Yeah.
0: Do you remember when Instagram updated a bunch of people's apps did you see this? It must have happened yes. in here. And yes. It, it, did you see this thing? I
2: know what you're going to say. So, so Instagram,
0: Instagram sent out an update. I think it was to around about ten percent to twenty percent of users, and it complete. Imagine the app's completely gone, and imagine a stories feed that you have to move through individually, mm-hmm. one by one, and you can't navigate. Yeah. Mm. And they released this update to like ten or twenty percent of users, and just. All hell broke loose. It was meant
2: to be a very, very, very small test to, like, less than 1% of users. It came out over the Christmas break, and I was on our Twitter, and I had to report on it. And about an hour later, I had to c- amend the report because I said, oh, my God, Instagram, massive update. It's changed its oh, entire interface. Yeah, it's, yeah, gone it's gone so from a scrolling that, yeah. feed. <laughs> <laughs> same by the bell yeah, I know stop talking yeah. about the yeah. update. <laughs> excuse me Mark like Adam Missouri listen Mark <laughs> mate we
0: don't care <laughs> talk about this update
2: yeah it, it went from a, a scrolling feed to scrolling that way and all that speculation that we've been doing about you know will stories overtake mm. the news feed it felt like it was happening literally within the hour it had been taken down Pold and they oh again. my god I'm really sorry that test was not meant to go out to mm. as many people as mm. it did and There's then we were all somebody... left going is that is that what they're going to change is its it, is it happening <laughs> <laughs> But it was yeah. like, film doesn't go that way. Yeah. What, what are you that's doing? Snapchat
1: redesign. It's like yeah. Twitter have brought out this new public beta testing thing where they've actually invited everyday people, you know, not just tech insiders who are connected to every single thing Yeah, I think say, Twitter's actually being really positive. Features. If
2: you want to look at a platform that's making changes for good, take a look at what Twitter's doing because they're being so inclusive of their updates mm. Uh, mm. and they're not just Pushing blasting it. people see, with horrible um, spam stuff.
0: Did you listen to Jack Dorsey on Joe Rogan?
2: I didn't. No, I will. I so will. It's, it, it's yeah. definitely so on me to watch list. He's done yeah. a
0: second one. He came back on a second time. Oh, did he? So he did a first one. And Rogan doesn't usually. But what I particularly like about Joe Rogan, the reason that I think he's a good podcaster, is he just puts his stuff out. Like he's effective at what he does. The reason that he's the best podcaster in the world is because he asks the question that you would have asked if you'd had half an hour to prep for that one section. Mm. <laughs> and then he asks it straight away by riding the crest of now at all times and constantly asks the best questions. But one of the other reasons I think he's so good is the fact that he just doesn't care what people think. He doesn't check the comments on YouTube. (sighs) He doesn't really respond to stuff like that. But one of the few times, Alex Jones was one of them and Jack Dorsey was another one, he got so much backlash because people wanted him to go after Jack Dorsey about why are people getting banned? Why is Milo the Yiannopoulos mm. banned? Why is Sargon of a card banned? Mm. Why are you de mm. these people? There appears to be a left-leaning bias and all this sort of stuff. So he was like, right, fuck it. Like, we're going to have Jack back on again. Then Jack brought his uh, head of the safety team, which yes. is basically the woman that presses the ban button. Saw this. Um, and he brought in uh, Tim Pool, who is like the the Ben Shapiro or, he's like the Hoist Gracie of cutting people down in fast debates, like a a scalpel precision, uh, how he's able to deploy this stuff. And he came fully armed, like study after study after example, after example, after example. And during the conversation, sometimes with this, especially when you see Silicon Valley in there, you want to, like, yeah, stick it to the man, like, fuck the machine. Yeah. And part of me wanted that, that kind of cathartic pleasure that you get from seeing someone who's successful just get smashed all over by someone who's witty. Mm. Like, there's mm. something that I enjoy about that. Um, weird. But, <laughs> but what ended up happening was a very... Um, Tim continued to be militant throughout. Like, his parting words were... I still don't like you guys. I still don't believe that what you're doing is for the greater good, and I still hope that Twitter goes down, but thank you for your time and coming on. That was essentially what he said. But throughout the whole conversation, Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, and uh, the woman whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm not going to try, who was his head of the safety team, they basically said, we don't understand what this technology really needs, and we are learning as we go the same Mm. way that you guys are. Mm can we have a little bit of compassion back? Mm. Um, and there's some things that seem like there's maybe some double standards that are maybe a little bit more critical. But this degree of compassion overall, I think for people that have had to deal with high degree of technological change, a lot of financial ups and downs um, and uh, the advent of social media, you also, I can't say that I want that for us. Whilst not also allowing the executives and the people who are in the marketing departments to also be given the same... Yeah. Amount of freedom, yeah, yeah, yeah and I think definitely.
2: like it's it's harder to um, forgive some more than others. But I, yeah, like I said, I'm a really big fan of what Twitter's doing because they'll admit that they're not perfect, and the whole time they're just being transparent. Mm. They just they are really mm. trying to be like open and honest and inclusive with their users, and yeah, they'll they'll get things wrong, but they I I believe have better intentions than who goes, some others.
0: <laughs> who goes on Joe Rogan to speaking to millions of people? As the CEO of a company twice, and then the second time, knowing that Joe's basically bringing in your arch, your, your kryptonite, yeah. um, with another person who's the person that is like public enemy number one, essentially, to just have discourse mm. and to try and be as open as possible. I mean, that that for Twitter will have done more than any advertising campaign can have done. And obviously, what did we say before? High risk strategy. Yeah, like you could have gone on and just fluffed it. Because especially at the beginning, they're being very, very militant. It's it's quite sort of frictiony, and they're just constantly having to swallow this stuff from Tim as he's just unloading stat after stat after stat. And you think after a while, you begin to see that they're they're just human beings again, the same. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like the, Jack Dorsey didn't know what Twitter was going to become, and I, to a degree, I don't believe that Mark Zuckerberg did. Like you look at him in uh, the, those Senate hearings, and he's just A guy that made a website and is now like, oh my God, like just looking up at the sky. I made this joke earlier on. He looked like a
2: lizard, not uh, a man. He turned. He did look a little bit.
0: Well, I mean, maybe that's what that degree of fear does. Yeah, Yeah, just like
2: clammy and so pale and scared. Very, very damp. Yeah. With this as well,
1: I I go back to my point because you're completely right. And my, my stance on this will still be okay like you said you know that this is the medium of delivery this is the media this is the technology this is whatever society you know for, for the large part we have sort of put you know what we want to see onto this mm-hmm. you know we the, the endless news feed for instance you know and the scrolling for instance probably started off as a good idea well, they well, the, the, thought right, we'd make a bit of money on it, but the, the problem well, is,
0: like, the features wouldn't have stayed if they weren't effective. Exactly, it's natural exactly. evolution for the features that exist on the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The same thing for the reason that the next episode countdown happens on Netflix is that it improves retention. So more people watch the, the rest yeah. of the series if the countdown occurs than if it doesn't. If it, totally round, if it was the other way around, if it was the other way around, they wouldn't put it on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. your own choices determine the root of the technology I think the criticism is we didn't choose our own cognitive biases and you are triggering something that's there in the back of the brain yeah, when I want purposely. to be able to be thinking about it mm. with this bit and you're like okay so but guys it's been absolutely fantastic thank you so much yeah, for coming on thank you, on. It's been, thank you purpose, for having yeah. us it's, so next time I will be on that couch yeah, and we'll do you smile. both yes. sit here
1: <laughs> Is that <the> yeah, way? <laughs> he, yeah sits, he sits so on I'm my lap. between yep. you know okay, yeah. Yeah. the uh, you mic.
0: Yeah, so, we're like yeah. tiered that way. I love it, uh, guys. Link to Social Minds podcast will be in the show notes below. Link to all of the stuff for social chain will be there as well. Don't forget to press share if you enjoyed this, and if you've got any comments about what we've brought up today, fire them in the comments on YouTube. Really appreciate it, guys. Thank you again. Thank, thank you. you.